Just a few film nerds breaking out of a rut Drooling over cinema that's hard and uncut Stick us in your ear, thrill to this month's picks And come and listen in, we're measuring flicks Hello, everyone. Welcome to Measuring Flicks. I'm Carl Hartley. And I'm Max Peterson. And you know what we don't have on this table is Kleenex. And we're just... Oh, fuck. No, let's knuckle down. Let's do it. Let's just man up. I'm fine. I'm so tired, I don't know if I could I don't mind you seeing the mascara running down my cheeks. It doesn't doesn't bother me one bit. I trust you enough to allow that to happen. There might be some masculine hand-holding. You but know, it's fine. there fucking might be, dude. Like, I might, I might need like a little pat on the shoulder at some point. And right. in case you're wondering why we're gonna be weeping openly, all right, uh, it is week three of Robin Williams month, and today I think this is probably as heavy as it's gonna get. Oh, I don't Next know. Next <laughs> week is gonna be real rough, but I, I can't imagine that. The oh, okay. Anyway, today we are watching 1990s. Awakenings, yes. directed by Penny Marshall, starring Robert De Niro and Robin Williams, with a really interesting and good turn by John Hurd, and also yep. you gotta shout out Julie Kavner as Nurse Costello. She does a great yep. job. There is another actress whose name I noted, but we'll get uh, Ruth Nelson and plays you gotta Leonard's mention mother her because I had a huge crush on her in high school. Penelope Ann Miller. Which one? Who? Penelope, Penelope Ann Miller. Miller. She plays the the, the like the love the, interest, the love for, interest Leonard. for Leonard for, for Leonard. Leonard. Yes. Okay. Um, and then the rabbit that he, <laughs> that when he kills, <laughs> kills, that's a different story, is it? That's Steinbeck, I think. Oh, okay. And then, then of course you gotta shout out the mouse, Algernon. <laughs> you got Di- is this a different? Is that a different that's one a different, too? Man, it's different. Oh man, this is about this is about mental illness. Yeah. Okay. I'm trying to be. Le- yeah, I'm trying to I bring know. some levity at the beginning because there's trying. no way that we make it through this. This is not going to be Cemetery Man. No. Um. So I um. Go so ahead. I watched this movie like a week and a half ago now mm-hmm. because of our, there was like scheduling stuff. It's Film Fest in Traverse City, so like nobody had any time this week. So I ended up watching this like a week and a half ago, and so right. I'm like rereading some of my notes and like. Some of them are like, oh yeah, I remember what that. And some of them are like, I don't fucking know what I'm. That's what okay I'm because I. But this my first my first note is I almost didn't make it through the fucking DVD menu, oh. without crying because I know the movie. I bought it on Voodoo. And there was like the music, like the the score comes up and it's ding 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 like that that jaunty like nineties like it's a feel good but gonna make you cry sort of like. <laughs> When I finish, and, and okay, this because it's Randy Newman. You're an uh, the, the score. Yeah. Okay, so you're a week and a half removed removed from, from, it. from yes. this. I watched this. I finished this movie not an hour ago. Oh my god, dude. Um, I I can tell that you are you're. I know you're tired. Oh yeah. But you're probably emotionally rejuvenated and ready to cry again. If I cry anymore, I think I'll be like I'll somehow <laughs> be a, a victim. Or uh, might, this movie will have officially made you a Holy victim. Holy shit. Like I'll be in a support group if I have to yep. cry anymore today. Um but it's good cry. It's man. such a good cry. And it's They don't make movies like this anymore. Well I was thinking about that when I watched when I watched this. Mm-hmm. I was like even from the start, how it introduces you to Leonard and his problem. It's yeah. like the whole, the first five minutes, well, like a lot of movies are, the first five minutes are, it could almost be a short film in itself. Right. Because there's a beginning, a middle, and an end to like the struggle of Leonard as a child. You see him slowly deteriorating to the point where he is, he's essentially, he's comatose and, and 
and then you flash forward to where we are now with Robert De Niro playing Leonard. But that whole, it's just a slow burn enough, but it's not a slow burn. It shows you, it's like, all right, here's the kid. He's cute. And it's like right away within the first 30 seconds, he's carving his initials into a park bench and he starts shaking. Well, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, shake. You're right, though. He carves his initials. Oh, he's into having a, park a hard bench, time. And they look at his his hand that's holding the knife is cocked at the wrist and frozen, kind of. Yeah. Because we find out later that what he essentially is, what he ends up with is, according to, if I read it right, is like a super advanced form of Parkinson's, Parkinson's disease. Where the, the tremors, tremors are, yeah, the ahead. tremors have gotten so extreme that they manifest as f- being frozen. Right. Like the hand physically can't move as fast as the tremor is, so it just locks up, mm-hmm. turns into a, basically these people turn into statues. statues. Um, but let's start at the beginning and yeah. work our way through because my notes are very linear. I feel this like this one. movie should be it, go in order. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, of, there's, of the progression. And so. there's some stuff that ties back and forth. Sure. And, but there, there are movies that are hard to talk about in a linear fashion. Time like an eraser movies, head, eraser, yeah. yeah, or movies, yeah, exactly. Like an eraser head, or like a Jim Jarmusch movie where it's not even where the movie is too much to talk about, so you end up talking about concepts instead. Right. But this movie does lend itself really, really beautifully to linear storytelling. Yes. This is the first Penny Marshall film that I've ever seen. Have you not seen Big? I have not seen Big. Oh my! But God. I immediately went and put it in my voodoo wish list. Yeah. Because I saw it is Penny Marshall and Tom Hanks. Yeah. And I'm like fucking a. So my first note is <laughs> Road to Perdition, <laughs> which um, if anyone's seen Road to Perdition, the opening to this feels so much like because it is in the 19. It opens in it the opens 1920s in the, yeah. and it f- has that because Road to, uh, Road to Perdition directed by um, Sam Mendes. Sam Mendes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And Sam Mendes manages to pull off almost like in the opening montage of Road to Perdition, as Penny Marshall does here, pulls off that subdued Spielbergian, like realistic immersion. Yeah, you immediately get a sense of of, of where you are of presence, right? Without having to show you, hey, here's a here's a car from 1930s. Here's a billboard that has a, the actors that you know from the. They do it more in that subtle sort of way, but just by the weather and the way the trees look, you yeah. know where you are. It's the weirdest Which is, thing. The strangest thing is that it's shot in 1990, mm-hmm. but the but you're exactly right. The weather, the atmosphere, the lighting, like it is a total it is a totality of of elements coming together to create a very uh, uh, to create a really subtle way of grounding us in the time immediately. Mm-hmm. The costumes. I had notes about the costumes immediately. Of course, the movie will eventually sweep you up, so all you give a fuck about is the, like, right. the two main performances. <laughs> but in this early bit, um, they, I don't, again, I never, I stupidly didn't write down the cinematographer, but Penny Marshall and whoever did the cinematography for this, that first five minute sequence, there's very little dialogue. Oh, hardly any. They're just like they're it's just like, yeah, driving with them. Can, like, hey, come on, blah, blah, blah. Can, they're being uh, Bronx kids. Can you come over and hey, fuck you? Yeah, what's his name? Leonard. Leonard. It's like, can Leonard come out to play? No, he's gonna yeah. be up in his room and he's kind of shaking a little bit. Like that. That's pretty much that's the total it. dialogue. But yeah, the teacher asks him, "Are you done with your paper or whatever?" And or she, no, she's she not doesn't. even. She's collecting the papers. She and collects sees the papers and his sees that his handwriting is falling off the page. Well, she and, sees that she's graded everybody's, but his because she doesn't have his notebook. Right. Because he hid his notebook in his desk, and that is one of the scariest thing. That moment could have been out of a horror film. That's fucking scary. When she pulls it out and she's flipping through the pages, I wanted to talk about this. I have mm-hmm. a specific note about it. 
She's flipping through the pages, and you see this hand, this normal handwriting, and you see his other grades, and they're A, A, A minus, B, A, A. He's a good student, and she's flipping through his pages, and you see like this beautiful level handwriting. So when she turns the page, Mm -hmm. and you see that like that like weird spiky blocky handwriting that trails off into like these like lines off Mm -hmm. the page to see such a sudden change in his handwriting with no dialogue and all you hear in the background is like laughing children and the sounds of the outside world in a totally empty classroom that was really really sounds of recess and kids playing it's a realization of something horrific yeah and it it and it's not a monster it's it is. It is. I wrote yeah. down. I wrote down. Um, it is the terror of creeping infirmity, which is he seems healthy, which is that that's the fucked up thing about. I've been because that day he can go outside and play and play catch because he, he isn't. Well, he, that, he isn't that bad anymore. He's he still, was. He was reading later or yeah. later we see him up in his bed reading. Yeah. And he was playing with his friends and he carves his name yeah. like he carves his name into a bench and then oh his hand did something weird but you know he's fine he went to school. He's not doesn't seem to be sick, but it's it's the horror of being betrayed by your body. Yeah, that really messed with me. It messes with. I mean, that is such a real fear for everyone. Yeah, is it, that like because it could be any time. God, what was it? I think it was. I think it was Dreamcatchers. It was uh, that Stephen King movie adaptation. Yeah, uh, adaptation where the I was listening to the audio, audio commentary for that and. There's a, a scene in the bathroom where the guy like shits out an alien essentially, but in the in the commentary I said one it's 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 terrifying because something horrible is happening to a human. There's an alien coming out of his body, but right. two it's happening in the bathroom, and the reason that that is so scary is because most terrifying discoveries happen in the bathroom. Right. What is this lump on my on my testicles? What is this thing on my face? What well, is this mark? What is this thing? There is very not to get crass, but and it is I don't think it is crass. It's just it's a it's terrifying, but there's very few things scarier than seeing blood in the bowl. Mm-hmm. Think about that. Like yep. after you, like after you take a shit, or if you wipe and you're like, oh, "What the fuck?" Yep. Like cause I used to lift weights really, really heavy when I was in high school, and one th- long story short, right. like once upon a time, I had to wonder because I have, my family has a history of colon cancer. Oh shit! So I'm like, I'm like, I know I'm really young, but like I also know I have this history. So that's fucking yep. terrifying. Because it's your body, you're li- and your life completely changes in that half of a second. Not even a heartbeat. It's and the other a second ago you were fine, and now you're not. And the other thing is the that strange, um, you know, like it's your fuck. What am I trying? It, it, like when something bad happens outside your realm, it's like there is there is thing. Me and my body and my faculties will go and attack or mm-hmm. fix or avoid that thing. Even being attacked by another person or some sort of physical violence that's happening outside of you, like you have something that you can do about that. Right, and the I mean, and the other thing is, <clears throat> it's uh, it's the airplane thing. Mm. People are afraid to fly. Very few people are afraid to drive. Flying is infinitely safer than driving. People are terrified of roller coasters, but again, the fatalities on roller coasters are enormously low. So what what all that boils down to is fear of lack of control. Mm-hmm. Like if you're driving a car, you're way more likely to be dead, but at least you're in control. You will be the one that caused it. <laughs> but so. there's also that illusion of competence where you're like, well, I'm driving the car. So 
I'll right. avoid the drive. But but when when your body goes wrong on you, when something deep inside you cracks and breaks, that's that is out of your control, and that that loss of control is externalized by his loss of his ability yep. to write his own name, which is brutal. It's beautiful. The first five minutes of this film are genius visual storytelling, yep. and then the rest of the movie is a fucking masterclass yeah. in acting and writing, essentially. Oh my god. Um. <clears throat> Seriously. So, yeah. So, do you have anything else for that early the sequence early bit? before? Um, no, you? other than the fact that that that, that kid that they they chose for Leonard looks just fi- like. Oh yeah, he looks it's like it's like they filmed De Niro when he was a, a kid. kid. <laughs> like we have this project for you in about thirty years. Oh, <laughs> we you need to film these. You mean they Richard Linklatered it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're just exactly. like, I'm gonna can what? And by the way, we don't have to talk about the movie at all. But how ballsy was it for Linklater to be like, I hope none of these actors die. No shit. Over the course of like <laughs> a human lifetime. Well, they'd have to write him. He, How you can write he rolled the on dice, that? right? Yeah, well, I mean, sure they did. did it with the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus. Yeah, they sure but, did. So. No, I don't have anything else for the beginning other than it's just a, a perfect way to get into the... Yeah, like I said, it's visual storytelling and, and you know who Leonard is. The, yeah, the next thing that I was really impressed by... This early in the movie, you're not you're not broken up. Oh, yet. no, you're, not you're just like, oh my God, that really sucks. You get that... There's like a... You get that, that, that sort of hits you in the stomach because yeah. something horrible is happening to a, to a young child. And, I'd, I'd say there's about an hour... Where we're developing characters. It's about forty-five minutes to an hour where it's just like a clinical, like sort of like Robin Williams is being funny. There's some really like kitschy dialogue. It feels like a, a slightly more serious Patch Adams for a little yeah, while. Yeah, very much. Yeah. Until they they until the awakening they start gen- happening. They brilliantly tear your heart out of your chest. Mm-hmm. But um, I think my next note is the thesis. The thesis of the film for me. Uh, like displays itself incredibly early it's when you know when we're introduced to robin williams character i was looking for like performance stuff because we've we just watched good morning vietnam we just watched Mm -hmm. um one hour photo which turned out being around people (laughs) but um you know i was looking for that like super high level robin williams thing and i almost missed it because it's and it's not as subdued and understated as one hour photo is that's genius in a different direction with like an ultimate subtlety i figured you figure or i figured out late in this movie what made him so compelling and so good in this which is he's normal he's a normal-ish he's a doctor he's primarily an intellectual he's primarily a researcher he's a he doesn't he has like the only thing that he's ever done was he had to do clinicals to get his doctorate so that's his only experience with prove that the thing didn't work it's like yes i know we proved that it didn't work right (laughs) well he he says he's like he did a he did a project trying to extract something out of like ten thousand pounds of worms over the course of five years you you can't extract that from yeah the guy's like that's impossible he's like well i know it's impossible i I proved proved it it. (laughs) by doing it you know there's lots of little good jokes in here but um like when they the woman who has the phobia of pens the second time they meet her and they both they clap cover their, their, hand their pens. over their pen protector <laughs> their pocket protectors but i i figured something interesting out i didn't write any notes until he figures out that she can catch her glasses when he he notices the reflex yeah i was just watching the movie and i'm like oh this is interesting the genius of his performance which we'll come back to again and again is he has ticks he has repetitive motions that he does throughout the film. He has a repetitive nervous tick, which is a mirror image of Leonard's first 
ticks when he starts showing signs of going back into where he's touching his face when robin williams gets nervous in this movie he touches his cheek and then his glasses and then puts his hand to his chest and then repeats it with his right hand like almost like he's adjusting his glasses like he's adjusting his glasses but it's like like a walk-up yeah so he and there's there's other ones but that's the one that i noticed because when leonard starts showing signs again um it's his left hand but he does almost, almost the same, the same motion. Thing. So it's really subtle, but it's it's a small piece of resonance between those two characters that ties them tighter together. You know what I mean? Because mm-hmm. what we you end up with is th- basically these two men form a bond, beyond, well beyond a doctor-patient bond. And there are so many little things, because we talk about all the time how movies work on your subconscious mind. Yes. You know, below the, we talked about it in one hour photo, the different speeds of ticking, um, you know, in the, the front car versus the back car. Exactly. How you're probably not noticing you're it. You're not picking up on it. Your brain, your yeah, brain knows. Your brain knows and it's fucking with you. Yep. And he's like, why do I feel like my asshole is itching? <laughs> what is going on there? Like, I think my it's skin like, is ugh, too tight. Why like, is my skin so that tight? one little thing. Right. right. And that... This movie is not ratcheting up tension. Mm-hmm. This movie is tying emotional bonds, threads between people. These little and subtle. That's bonds, one of the ones yeah. that I, I actually, because I was looking for it, picked up on it, which is Robin Williams's ticks are mirror images oh of fucking Leonard's ticks. Um, so here's what I think the thesis of the film is, because you remember when he first shows his hypothesis to the doctors where he th- basically throws a ball at oh, they're borrowing borrowing the will of the ball borrowing the will of the ball and because she- they can't move but that that ball is moving so they catch it and so that gives them yeah like they have no will of their own so they have to borrow, borrow the, will the will of, of the other- ball and yeah. it's a, it's a cool metaphor because later on it applies in a, to, in a very human way. Yeah, and it, in different ways, too. Right, like borrowing the will of music. Yes, borrowing you, the will of another person, borrowing the will of of poetry, borrowing right. the will of... Oh, my of, God. Mm-hmm. That Rilke poem. Ooh. Yep. But, um, so, Robin Williams shows up. And even though we're immediately shown that he shouldn't have this job. Well, he doesn't like being around people. He's socially awkward. Right. He wants to be just reading books and surrounded by books and and being scholarly. Right. I like the fact, you know, they do do a great job of establishing his scholarly routine. When we see there's a sequence where he shows up to his house and he, he gets a book in the mail and has plants in it. And he opens his fridge and he pulls a plant out and starts comparing them and forgets that his fridge is open. And then walks away and he's eating like a tin casserole can full of like potatoes and peas. And you get the sense that's probably cold. Cold, yeah. And he's like rubbing his eyes and you can tell he's tired, but he's happy. The the early times when we don't see him like locked up in his shell where he's happy, he's looking at a book or he's playing his piano. Mm-hmm. And he always falls asleep with an open book as though he's doing everything he can to fill his mind with knowledge before nature forces him to sleep. Yeah, like, exactly. And so the first thing that he sees when he wakes up will be the open page of a book. Right, exactly. You begin and end your conscious existence with the accumulation of knowledge learning, learning. which is important because yes. we're going to cuz that word is going to make you cry harder than Fuck you me. ever no, imagined don't, in your life. I'm not we're, ready for it we're yet. We're going to get there. I'm not ready for it yet. We're we'll get there eventually. I'm not Carl. ready for it yet, man. Carl, we're going to get there. Okay. Um That broke Danielle so hard. Oh, dude. I've, so hard. I don't think I've ever cried harder than that during a nope. movie. But we're not, we're there, not yet. there yet. We're not there yet. Um, so my arms hurt. I think the important thing 
I got chills thinking about it. I but know that's the that's important part of him not being quali- uh, of him uh, not wanting the job. Them both of both the doctors who are interviewing him are scoffing. But I think the important part of that is he. Because eventually he's fucking brilliant at this mm-hmm. job. He does better than any other candidate could have done. He's perfect. But I think it's important to note that he doesn't meet their criteria for what this position should mean. So what the what happens? The first thing when he gets in, he's a researcher. So he's he's curious. Yeah. And this is my this is. This is the 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 word that like be, became my proxy for the thesis of the film, which is interested. He's interested. It's not like he immediately empathizes with the char- the characters. You know, he's just like, oh, oh shit, she caught her sunglasses. Interesting, because they all the rest of the staff in this hospital refer to the ward that he ends up spending most of his time in as the garden, because all you have to do is feed and water them. Mm-hmm. So like plants, they're no longer humans to these people to right. the staff anymore. But if you're interested. Well, what gets him? But, yeah, I, I I have a I have a long note. I could just read it, but I think I'm going to try and piece it out. Um, he, the other doctors stand at a distance and look at these people, and they're like, ah, oh, they're all catatonic. There's nothing going nothing on in their heads. Do. Max von Sydow is going to vocalize this later, but we'll talk about that mm-hmm. when we get to him. But like, they're just standing around looking at the patients, and they're like, here's your pills. Here's your water. It's become routine. Well, not even routine. It's beyond routine. It's right. It's it, it's uh, you know it's it's literally like gardening. That's yeah. how they're approaching mental health. And when we see their the patient files later, it's just abnormal. Whatever the fuck that could be written it on, could be all, written of on their, all their charts. All yeah. their charts that no one has cared. Abnormal. Wickedy wackety. Who fucking knows? They haven't moved in thirty five, forty fucking years. Yeah, there's people. one who hasn't even been like reexamined seriously in forty. Hasn't years. been reexamined in forty four fucking decades. Because there's no change, and they do, and they're and why not. Why look? It's and it's not that they don't care because you get the sense that some of them have this like. I think they do care, but they're terrified to care because of what that would mean. I'm. I argue. I argue that the, it's. I here. I'm going to use a detective metaphor because I. I'm. That's okay. the world I'm immersed in. Is detective it. fiction. Cool, okay. cool, cool. So there's, you know, when you watch the 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 cop movie, the cop drama with the jaded or the jaded detective. Mm-hmm. The detective almost invariably, the PI character or the detective, the the outlier, the the rogue cop, the maverick. The Robin Williams type character yes. who doesn't fit the mold, who hasn't just gelled in with the rest of the police force. Two things keep the rest of the cops from being interesting invariably. One, they are either so jaded by their jobs they don't give a fuck and they just are like, yeah, I'm just passing time till the pension comes through. Right. I or, retire in six months. Exactly. <laughs> or... And then they become wallpaper to the viewer because they're like, oh, yeah, they're just, just another... Whatever. Because they don't care. They're not people of passion, so we don't fucking want to watch them. Or... They are too big picture where they're like, we're going to clean up the streets. We're going to get this city back clean. And every bit of criminal crimes is going to be crime. We got the mayor on our side. They, they, they lose the trees for the forest where they're like, we're going to make the whole city clean. And we're like, well, that's clearly impossible. So we stop giving a fuck about those cops too. They usually just serve to be like irritating characters Mm -hmm. that, that can later be chastised for not being as cool as the men. Or they end up being killed and you're like, oh, that's horrible because they wanted to clean up the city. They wanted to clean up the whole city and all the criminal crimes. But the, what makes the Maverick so effective, the Maverick cop, the PI, the detective is he treats 
the he treats the mystery that needs to be solved in these cop movies not as like a bleeding heart empathetic like I mean you see that on NCIS and daytime TV oh, but the sure. great detective films you don't have a detective who's like you're like I needed to get justice for that dead dame cuz it that's not <laughs> right, it no. he's just curious yeah he's like this crime doesn't make sense. What the fuck what is the, going on yeah. here? So you know, it's a curiosity. It's an interest, and in it's, it's an a, interest. Yeah. He hits the streets because he, not because he wants to solve the crime, or well, he does, but not not just because he wants to solve the crime or avenge the wrongs or empathize with the victims, but because there's a puzzle. And the way that his brain works, that's also why they are usually like the loner asshole, is because mm-hmm. they're bad with people because they don't have empathy, but they care about this weird puzzle. They have to get those pieces to fit together. And in many cases in these detective films over the course of unraveling the puzzle they learn about empathy mm-hmm. and become better with people so by the time they get to the conclusion the, and the, the girl that they rescue hugs and you see a one uh, the tear because now they know how yeah, to feel or <laughs> by the time they get to the conclusion and confront the person who's responsible for the crime they now actually give a fuck even though they didn't they to didn't begin necessarily with. to begin with yeah so can like can you imagine if you were someone who really cared about these patients and about the people, not yeah, about almost traumatizing every day. Yeah, you'd to walk in you'd those walk doors in and you'd be crushed. immediately crushed. And it kind of crushes Robin Williams. But mm-hmm. I, I postulate that people who come into this with like that, that like we're going to clean up the whole city and we're going to we're going to save all these people. Yeah, exactly. We're going to fix all these people's. You're going to end up killing yourself in six exactly. months. Exactly. You'd walk in and you'd be devastated and crushed. Robin Williams is just freaked out by the people. He's not like. He, and you know he's like it's hard to see these people But what keeps him there Is he's curious It's the mystery Exactly So he's interested in them Whereas none of the other doctors are interested like, at why all Why did she catch her glasses Something happened there And what is, what's, what's the first thing the doctor says when he shows him It's a reflex Right And then he's ready to leave the and room A reflex would have been to swat it away or bat it away She caught it She caught it Yeah So but I mean <laughs> But that's important, yeah, which is yeah. when you see these other five doctors, they're immediately like, reflex, back to TV, everyone out of the room, out of the, they're ready to go. Yeah. And he's like, wait, wait, doesn't anyone think this is interesting? And they're all like, no. And that's the difference between Robin Williams and all these other characters. Yeah. So what we see, and we see this, whoa, boy, do we see this later when he's trying to get money to put the whole ward on the drugs. And the guy goes, um, I, I got to get the line exactly right. I wrote, I wrote, wrote it down. Um, Fuck. I think you overestimate the effect Mr. Lowe has on people, Doctor. We're talking about money. That's his... He yeah. he finds out that it would cost $12,000. $12,000 a month. A month. To get... the dosage. To get all of the coma... The, what he considers to be catatonically incurable cases. We'll, eventually, we'll make spoilers. Fucking Robin, Robert De Niro wakes up yep. and is fine. Yeah. And takes it, him a couple of days to get back into the swing, swing and learn of things, how to move but and by talk the, again. Yeah, but at his peak, he's normal. A regular person. Completely, yeah, yeah completely back. Um, so when the doctor finds out it's going to cost 12000 bucks, he's he his knee-jerk reaction is like, that's too much money. And Robin Williams is like, I don't, but yeah, but we they, can, we can wake them all cure up, Cure everyone we in can, this ward. Yeah, they can all be cured and live real lives again and be real people again. And isn't that what we're doing at this hospital? And he's like, yeah, but remember when I said it was too much money? So no. So no. Right? Like, go back to where we are in the actual film when he's trying to make any difference at all. 
everyone's like, yeah, but if we look at that, that's work though. It's like we, the nurses when they're like, can you do you mind doing another? So what are you guys doing? Oh, we're just we well, we finished giving them their medication. She or opens whatever. the door and they that's a reflex. Yeah, the one nurse opens the door and the other two nurses go. The patients have been fed and given their medif- medication. They don't even look away from the television when they say it. Nope. It's totally reflexive. Like. The door opens and they Pavlov out the patients that have had their medication and they keep watching the fucking television. Yeah, I was like, well, how about you do your job and get up and help me with this shit? Remember how you're at work? Well, uh, we, got this weird, nurse in a mental we got this weird curious the- guy out here who's like doing experiments and I think he's kind of healing everyone. Yeah. So why don't you come so help with that? How about you go help with that? <laughs> and you know you what? You have a responsibility of care, motherfucker. Get the fuck up. Like, Dude, no, no kidding. We're like... The I jump I'm jumping just a touch ahead, but right. that that bit right there, and we will go back because I have notes that are sequential. But we will go. I want to touch on this really quick. When when that when the nurse Costello gets them up off their asses and out, and Robin Williams plays an aria, and he says, "This is one of the most beautiful arias ever ever written." Watch them closely for reactions, and you see the one woman's eyes move. It's so small, but her Just eyes... Just a move. little bit of a... Right. And then from that point on, I didn't look up all the characters' names. So there's mm-hmm. two nurses, there's a um, black male nurse, and then there's uh, like a big security guard guy. And that's our kind of our primaries. And Nurse Costello, who yep. is in the film a lot, so I know her name. But the one nurse is given Moby Dick to read. And she's she like... Call me Ishmael and looks up like, are you really, are you, you really going to make me? Is that enough? Did I read enough? <laughs> and she's like, go on, you know. And she starts reading them because they reacted a little to the aria. So they're trying other forms of media and triggering. Like maybe. And I think it's really interesting that. Not media, but like. Art. Art. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're trying to expose them to like things of great beauty mm-hmm. that might wake them up. So, like, will they react to Moby Dick, one of the great American novels? And also, given what Moby Dick is about, which is about the pursuit... Chasing the white whale? Well, pursuing pursuing basically an unachievable objective, which eventually destroys you, you, is such a... It's, like, almost like a spoiler for the whole It's almost a little bit of a spoiler, yeah. You see that, and you're like, oh, If you read into the metaphor too tightly, you know what happens. It's like checking into a hotel and someone's reading The Shining. You're like, okay. Hmm. Or if you watch, yeah, exactly. It's if you watch a movie set in a hotel and someone's watching The Shining. Or reading, or reading the, shining. the Shining, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, like, when I saw that, I was like, that that's great. And then the aria, and I, what I like is that one nurse who started doing the reading, you see her reading from that point on yeah. in the background. Like, that becomes it changed her, her, too. Yeah, it becomes her task. The black male nurse starts figuring out which music works as a as a, a for each a one triggering of them. yeah because he he and he starts to figure out how this is working too it's not just robin williams he basically gets the nursing staff interested yep so he, he you know he walks over to the guy and he's like here you know like play him some you know play him some records and the guy figures out huh hey, wait so wait 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 the classical music doesn't do shit but when i play jazz these two people eat this guy doesn't Hmm. What is going to make him? What's going to make him eat? So interested, curiosity. Exactly. Oh. So i i have a I have a note about it later. I I think, but um, yeah, here it is. It's no, whatever. I can't. But but like, I have a note about how Robin Williams in this movie is Robin Williams in real life, which is he manages to make you care. Yes, he does. He makes you interested, and he. Forces you to be curious and to 
and to give a shit. He like livens up your empathy. I don't know how that is because I mean you feel it immediately. It's something, and it happens in Goodwill Hunting too. So with Robin Williams and his face, I think it's mostly when he's reacting to something when the doctors are giving him like the no. He has this 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 way of holding himself in his face in particular. Where it's not like you're feeling sorry for him, like he's a puppy that is, has his bone taken away from him. Right. But you see the real sort of sense of loss. But the, the, I can't even explain it. There's something happening there that that makes you want to help. It's. I know exactly what you're saying. Um, I, I wrote down. It's like an empath, not an empathy thing. It's like more like a. You see the the true sincerity in 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 his desire to help people or to 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 be a good human, and that brings that out in 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 me. Yeah, it's watching that the expressiveness that his that he manages the sadness. Mixed I wrote in with like I wrote down. Um, I have it, this note comes from much later, but um, this this is basic. I wrote this down when during the scene when. Um, Robert De Niro's character wakes up and he finds him like trying to write his own name. Mm-hmm. And I said, no one's face is overtaken and overcome with happiness more or better than Robin Williams. Because he almost doesn't know how to like he, he's smiling, but it's almost like a like a like he doesn't know how to. He's so overcome with joy. He's like. He wants to smile, but he doesn't want to show this smile because he doesn't want to seem overly no, excited, like he's holding some of it back, but then he's then his face brightens up to what the I, point where he's so... What I notice with Robin Williams when he's... When in the moments in this film where he's overcome with happiness... In, in all of his movies, it's mm-hmm. just the way that he smiles. Robin Williams uh, is one of those yeah. people okay. who smiles with his in entire, entire face. face chin to hairline the eyes squint the, like this, oh. when when he realizes when he's watching there's a couple times in the movie when he's watching the footage of leonard when he first woke up and he's like i've been told that i have been away for a long time and now i'm back you know there and earlier when leonard first wakes up and he goes you know like you know um I, he goes it's very quiet and he goes everyone's asleep and he goes i'm he's I'm like not. i'm not and Robin Williams smiles, and viewers at home can't get it, but he, his face, his cheeks come up, and his eyes smile. Lines go out to his ears. His fo- every inch of his face is happy. And later in the movie, when he talks about when Robert De Niro has the speech about how people just ignore basic happiness mm-hmm. and like how people who have been alive where he's can he describes himself as feeling dead, feeling dead. several yeah. times but he says like all these people who are walking around alive are missing the point of life and he's like i'm so overcome with like the feeling the joy everything the beauty of everything of everything that's beautiful robin williams's face not in the movie forget about the movie for a second just robin williams the man the actor when he is when he lets happiness really hit him like in interviews or in movies or on stage or wherever, you've never seen anybody who felt as happy as he feels right, right then. then. Yeah. I was watching old interviews with him. Well, like weeks before um, his passing. Mm-hmm. And there are moments there where like he, he's so happy in those moments, like joking with um, whatever late night talk show host he happens to be on and like getting into that banter and laughing and seeing that, that huge smile and joy on his face mm-hmm. 
and is there then too like even god it's just such a it's yeah a loss yeah. i'm it's not just a not, loss. not even the loss it's more like the you never you never fucking know you can be like as happy like that ah anyway i'm going off the rails but no it's fine i mean it, we've got in the last month we got three more celebrity like not just celebrity but we've got three more like high profile uh-huh. suicides of people who have been like shining beacons for many other people in the world so it's on our minds and we're doing robin williams month at the same time right so i'm the, right there with you yeah it's hard not to think like about every it. time he smiled and laughed in this movie i was like motherfucker yeah i mean that's why i'm worried about next week because next what dreams may come is it's rough dude i'm not gonna lie like this movie is rough because this movie this is the first movie that i ever cried in a movie theater as Mm. like as a young man like in in middle school i cried like a baby in the movie theater watching awakenings because of this you know my god dude what dreams may come well when we sat down to to plan out the original season one master list we both agreed that one of the movies that should belong in Robin Williams Month, we were not going to put in Robin's William, Robin Williams Month because it would be too difficult to talk about. With we were going to do World's Greatest Dad, yeah, remember? But it mm-hmm. has you like can't do it. You can't do World's Greatest Dad because it you just can't do it nope. because of the subject matter. <laughs> yeah. There's you, it would be unavoidable. We'd spend the whole episode of ta- not talking about the movie and talking about like talking about which we did kind of in Good Morning Vietnam, but whatever. Right. Um. So where we are in the movie right yeah. now is when he realizes there's another researcher who's noticed the encephalitis lethargica. Yeah. Because he makes a he's trying desperately to find a connection between all of these And he people. finds one. He does. They have all survived encephalitis. Which is the you know, it's like this essentially like this lethargic sleeping disorder. Yeah. And there's uh, Max von Sydow makes a fairly brief cameo in here as one of the doctors from the 20s who did a bunch of research on it. And he treated um, during an epidemic. So mm-hmm. he saw like hundreds of cases. So he he saw like the 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 start of this weird catatonia, which is we find out later, not actually catatonia um, because they, Do we ever find out for sure whether or not they are uh, conscious during all of that because I, f- I think conf- Robert De Niro says that there's he, conflicting that he's bits. dead Robin yeah Robert De Niro says he's it's dead like a skip in the record many or of them have no recollection of what they the, don't know the what year it is they think it's like 1940 but there's con- there is conflicting evidence because uh, Robert De Niro tells the, what's the actress's name the love uh, Penelope Ann Miller Penelope Ann Miller Rob, uh, Robert De Niro tells um, P- Penelope Ann Miller that you know your dad can hear you and mm-hmm. that might have I would have thought that that was just a kindness like a kind thing to say but why would he say that he doesn't have any reason other than like he is able to hear Robin Williams enough or he's he's able to respond enough even if, to be able to send those to, to spell a fairly complicated to point him directly to from the Ouija board right yeah and that the, was before any medication right wasn't it yes yeah so before any medication happens Robert De Niro is able to point Robin Williams to a specific Roka poem which perfectly sums up what this experience would be like if you were conscious. So I have another theory which is that the mind, the minds of these people treat this long sickness 
Rob, uh, Robert De Niro's word, not mine. This long sickness by scabbing it over or making mm. a scar, so that they don't have to deal. They with, don't have to deal with that. I mean, can you imagine thirty years? Well, Max in your own- von Sydow says, well, because Robin Williams is asking, well, are these people conscious? And he's like, no, they're not. The virus, like, well, how do you? Well, how the virus do you know? didn't spare their higher faculties. He's he like, says. well, how do you know? And his response is that, well, the alternative is unthinkable. Oh my! Which is this. I had a- like so the so your entire prognosis is that they're they they lost their higher function are not conscious because the only reason for that is because the alternative would be unthinkable if they're actually conscious so it has to be the other way I'm well like, fuck. it's not just that the alternative is unthinkable I wrote the, I have a note on this which is that Sidow's assumption assumption based prognosis is based on his the amount of discomfort he will allow he himself. Right, that's exactly right. Which yeah. is like, it's like saying like... I can't dive any further because if if the alternative... The, the alternative bothers me too much to think to about. To think about it. So I, I'm going to stop here and this is... Nope, it's their higher functions are gone. It's completely outside of science. And yeah. you can see Robin, the, you can see incredulity you can and see fear. Him. You can see Max von Sydow struggling with it too. I don't think so. I think mm. what, what I saw in Sidow's performance was sort of like a... Uh, Maybe a feigned nonchalance. Sure. Where maybe he has thought about this, but at this point in his life, this far down the road, it's, yeah, he's he's bugged that he, not bugged. That's the wrong word. He's upset that this guy's asking this question because now he has to think about it again. Not right. Yeah. But you can see in Robin Williams's face disbelief that this man of science is I mean, how saying dare something you? like, like that. But also, shocked but all, the big one for me is you can see fear in Robin Williams's face, which is like, no, he has oh my God, wait a minute. Because yeah. he, he's a man completely of science. All we've seen him do is like botany experiments in, in his books. So he's able to consider that these people have been conscious and trapped in their bodies for sometimes four decades. And that is something that he is able to entertain. And I love because... When we go and visit Max von Sydow, he is he is the 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 end of the the train track that all the other doctors are yeah, on. This is as far as they've they've gone. Right, which is like this is this is what they, this is what they know about. Wait, what if these people are conscious? No, they're not. Well, wait, how do you know that though? Because wouldn't that, it would be too terrible? It would suck if they were. It would be so bad if they do were. You know how though. fucking horrible that, that would be. No, just God. Like it's like a doctor, right? Yeah. Be, you know, it's like the it's like the meme that goes around, like the the you know the eighteen hundreds oh, doctor. God, yeah, yeah. You know, you got ghosts in your blood. Do cocaine <laughs> about it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's exactly. like it's literally like you know like um. The alt, you know, <laughs> ghosts. If you like, go do <laughs> the uh, the first time I heard that it made me laugh so hard. You know, the assumption that a thing must be so because the alternative is too uncomfortable to consider. I I originally wrote that down, being like, "What hokum?" You know, this these doctors who are like, you know, a no loving god would allow them to be conscious, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, yeah, well, what if there's no god though, and these people are suffering? Well, did I? I'm a man of faith, and like, none of these, none people, of these give people give a, give a fuck, fuck about, about your, your faith. faith, like. You know, I'm, and there's no mention of God. I'm just using, no, there isn't. Yeah. You know, I'm just using an, an analogy. But then I started thinking, like that mindset has parallels today. Doesn't that fuck with you when you yeah, think it about does. it? Like we hold certain, you know, there's that, you know, but we, it's true. We hold certain things to be true. But if you examine them, the only reason that we hold them to be inviolate because the is because the alternative is terrifying. Is, yeah, or or upsetting yeah. or uncomfortable. Or we have to work harder or something. 
Right. Like Well, we we are we are built for the path of least resistance. That is that is how we are built. <laughs> Evolutionarily, yeah. Seriously though. But yeah, it's, it's it's not just the path of least resistance though. It this is this is the definition the, yeah. of willful ignorance. Oh, yeah, clearly. Because it's like you know, um lobsters. This is a good example. No one yet knows because they haven't done conclusive studies that whether or not lobsters can feel pain. We know we have to boil them alive because if you kill them before you boil them, you can get bacteria that can kill you. So Mm -hmm. we boil lobsters alive. So most people, if you ask them, will tell you that lobsters can't feel pain. But that's not true. We don't know. Right. The reason that people say lobsters can't feel pain is because the alternative is is horrifying. Is horrifying. (laughs) Exactly. And we're boiling these creatures alive. Right. Exactly. Because they're tasty. Yeah. You know, but I mean. But if they don't feel pain, then we don't feel bad about it. There's a, and you also cut off soft shell fa- uh, crabs' faces while they're alive. Right, that's how you kill them mm-hmm. before you cook them. Yeah, we don't need to talk about anyways horrible ways to cook seafood. Little, suddenly, we're going into like <laughs> if if slaughterhouses had windows, we'd all be vegetarians. So exactly. So I think it's important to note that at this point in the movie, where we are right now, we've met Robert De Niro, but I have no notes on him, and I realized that this because the third no the yeah the third time you see Robert De Niro. Is when I noticed him and I was like Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute It's a testament To Robert De Niro's performance When he's in the catatonic state That even though he is Robert Fucking De Niro, he's the godfather He's Raging Bull, he's Travis Bickle himself and the first Couple times you see him He is a zero sum He's a dial tone, you literally Don't notice him you know it's him. You know it's you know that's Robert De Niro. But you're, zeros, you know, nothing. You know when you see a famous person pop up in a movie and you're like, oh honey, honey, it's honey, blah. Look. Oh my gosh, look, honey, it's look, Brad Pitt's in Deadpool too. There's yep. zero moment of that. You see, you see Robert De Niro's face, and he's just another catatonic patient in a ward full of catatonic yep. people. Not one single blip. You rec, you you recognize his face, but nothing registers. That is, and his performance coming out of it is so. I think we've talked about this in other movies that deal with like, you know, asylums or, you know, mental wards or people doing Mm. that particular performance. Anytime you do mental illness of any kind. Right. As an actor, it is probably one of the most difficult things to do. And it's a a risky proposition. It is. One, you don't want to lampoon it. Right. Or go too far one way or the other because you want to give as honest a representation as possible because you're, especially in this movie, this is an actual disease with actual like this is a real thing this based is on a, a true story this is, yeah and there's a book so this isn't like a, a, a made up thing like these are real people that you're portraying these are real people that you're portraying right and so there's that that it's not an uncanny valley but kind of is like where what's too far what isn't and how to I get that Robert De Niro is ah fuck dude he is he is Leonard his the subtlety from from coming out like I don't even want to like try and pretend like do a a uh, like try to pretend to to to, to do well, his character, but like there's like go for it because like, I'm going to okay fair I will. enough so go for it do well, it because when Robert Nero's like everyone's asleep and he's like I'm not it's like his, this little bit of like yes. he's, he's learning his his mouth all over again it's and it's it's and not how the muscles in his face and it's like 
It's not it's just that. waking up from the longest sleep you've ever you had. You know when you fall asleep on your arm mm-hmm. and it's pins and it's needles? That. And eventually... And your brain isn't working quite yet. This happened to me this morning. My alarm went off and I'm looking at it and it's, I see the number 558 and I'm like, I have no fucking idea what those symbols on this thing that are making noise are. No idea. <laughs> no. And I have this person next to me that's pushing me saying, honey, wake up. I'm like, I don't know who you are. I don't know what these are. My arms are asleep. And I'm like confused and a little out of my, like, I don't know what's happening. Right All right. Now. Well, since yeah, since we're here, but imagine that times a thousand is what it must be like to wake up from this sort of well and thirty years sleep and essentially. De Niro, du- what you're talking about the, the your brain not being quite there yet. Yeah, you. I think we see that in the way that De Niro's eyes track objects. Yeah, it's. There's so many little pieces to this performance. You get two hours. You get well. You get about an hour of watching Robert De Niro do this. I wrote down we could have done this as a Robert De Niro powerhouse performance. Absolutely. Um, I said his yeah. With the scene we're talking about right now, the moment of wakefulness. I wrote down this is as, this is the best you get because this is as good as it comes. Period. Done. There's everyone that wants to act in anything ever should watch this whole watch movie. This. Now, even but, if you're not doing a, a study on mental illness, right? You're you're gonna do Othello. It's almost a, it's this. almost like a yeah. It's it's like watching a master class in micro control because the actors that you and I rave about on this show, mm-hmm. you know, your Daniel Day Lewis's, your Tom Hardy's, they all have that hyper like hyper zoomed in control of micro facial expressions Mm -hmm. and tiny movements of their body they are utterly physically in command of themselves and there are performances as good as this but i don't think i've seen one better right this is this is among the best performances and this is his coming out his going back in he was nominated for an oscar for this is probably some of the worst shit that i've ever seen like, as far as best great his, performance yeah, his, but heartbreaking coming, yeah his coming out oh my is, god is brilliant and subtle in that you go on this journey of him but when he's going back down back in that is some i can't just i want oh, so chilling before we get there yeah. i want to zoom in on some of the details of his performance okay. coming waking up waking up perfect because and we see kind of a reversal of this when he's I, I, he's not going back to sleep, but when the medication starts wearing starts off and he losing goes its potency back into it's, his yeah. catatonic state. But some of the small things that I know that that are in this performance that just are flawless. It's like un, an unbroken marble fate. It's amazing how flawless the performance is. His eyes, like you said, where your brain is just waking up later. His eyes move around fluidly, mm-hmm. like just he's he's able to scan. He, he he becomes progressively better, and then he gets steadily worse. But when he first wakes up and he's at that like bottom rung of the ladder, his eyes go pencil, and then his eyes go like pencil window door Robin Williams. Right. He his eyes can't go fluidly from pencil to Robin Williams. They need to lock in baby steps yep he needs to go from object to object to object he track his eye if you watch just his eyes like just watch his eyes for the scene go back just watch his fucking the way that he manipulates his mouth the way he holds his shoulders but his eyes if you watch that scene just for his eyes his eyes never track smoothly Mm -hmm. when he first wakes up he tracks from object to object it's like he's picking his way across a stream on stones to get to Robin Williams' face and then back to the page. It's fucking genius. And then, like you were saying with his speech, 
his speech has incremental phases as he gets better and better. And the first phase, this is the analogy I was going for, you know, when you fall asleep on your arm arm, and when blood starts running back into it, you can't just make a fist and curl a ball, (laughs) but you can kind of move the fingers. Yep. Like, Oh, the fingers are back. Kind of hurts a little bit. Or like, yeah. And you can like, here, the arm comes halfway up. Yeah, but I can't grab my phone yet. Right. But eventually you're going to be able to grab your phone. And later on, you know, like Robert, or uh, Robert Not even De Niro, thinking about it anymore. Yeah, it's a, Robert it's De Niro's a past thing. He, he ends up, I'm not, I will never say that his character ends up taking it for granted, but his character becomes fully functional and fully alive. But in this first moment, that's what you're seeing. That's what I think his motivation is as an actor. I think he's saying, okay, my mouth is asleep, but I can kind of move the tongue and I can kind of move the lips. a little bit. So that's why you get like the, the tongue. So when he wakes up, he's like, the first words he say, he the first words he says are, "It's quiet," but it's barely recognizable as words. He goes, "It's quiet." It's like the the words happen in his the back of his cheeks. Mm-hmm. But Robin Williams gets it, and he's very well. It's, like, it's well, every, very late. Everyone's, everyone's asleep. asleep, and the next words are a little bit clearer, but it's still. I think what he's doing. From a totally physical, like sure. technical yeah, standpoint, yeah, yeah, yeah. like no way to nitpick a beautiful <laughs> moment apart. Right, yeah. I think it's speech where your where your the muscles of your jaw. I think jaw are. I think that's where he's putting his words because then you, if you put, push your tongue back that direction, you know, because he he looks at Robin Williams like step step step. Now he's on Robin Williams' face and he goes, "I'm not," mm-hmm. and it's back. It's, it's way, way back, back in his in mouth because his tongue's heavy. And then progress, he gets progressively, progressively better, better and better. And what I, one thing I love about Robert De Niro's performance is he never plays, because it is a performance. He is playing a character, but he never plays Leonard simple. Never. Ever. Le- Leonard is. Because he was an intelligent kid. He's not cognitively he impaired. The, right. He's just has the, he has the brain of a child still. Yep. It's fucking awesome. I mean, okay, I'm gonna. I've got to say it because it, it popped up in my head when I realized how good the performance I was watching was. But it is literally um, Robert Downey Jr.'s line from fucking Tropic Thunder. You, you know, you never go full guys, retard. You never go full retard. Right. That you know, the cut that controversial right. scene. <laughs> yes. You know, it's Sean Penn. I am Sam. Went home. <laughs> you know, he went for it. Went home empty-handed. <laughs> but. It, we were talking about movies with mental illness where you don't want a pastiche. You, right. you can end up with performances like, I hate to say it, Daniel Craig in The oh, Jacket. In The Jacket, yeah. That's not a good portrayal of no. mental illness. That's a pastiche of mental illness. Sean Penn and I Am Sam, It's it borders on like, I'm, I'm sure it wasn't his intention, but it borders on like, Almost like a mockery, mockery. from yeah. time to That's, time. That was the word that I was thinking of was a mockery, and not that he was intending. Not to that do he was so, intending to mock, but I the agree. read is yeah, mocking. It, the way it comes out, it almost seems like someone doing a joke at the expense of. They're doing an impression, not yes. doing a character. Right. It's not a performance; it's an impression. That's right. a great way to put it. And with Robert De Niro, you get zero of that. There's no impression at all. This. It, Mm. <sighs> well, the reason that it frustrates me so much is, we, and we've talked about it in the past, is when you watch a Robert De Niro movie, you watch this, you watch Raging Bull, you watch Taxi Driver, you watch The Godfather, you watch. I always forget that he's in Godfather. He's fucking. Yeah, he plays Vito Corleone Vito. as a young man yeah. in what is maybe the like the best. It might be his best performance. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> you know, like hey, I always forget about that. What's that one flick? Citizen Kane. <laughs> Citizen Kane. No, yeah, but. Yeah. You watch those, and what bugs me is, at what point did you, did you do you start doing Meet the Fockers? 
I hate that. Oh, see, I don't. Okay, go. Necessarily. Let's, let's brief aside. Why do not? Because acting is acting. Like you, I feel like movies like this are once in a lifetime, maybe once or twice. This sort of like lightning in a in a bottle happens. Yeah. Robin Williams has been on record that this is his favorite film for for a lot of reasons, and working with Robert De Niro, and right. that, so that's. He probably like who are we to say that he doesn't enjoy doing Meet the Fockers? Like I know. I've done like I've done serious roles and I've also done really stupid like so and they're I. both equally fun for different reasons. Yeah. Yeah. So like I love that Robert De Niro can be this incredible and 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 he is Leonard. I don't see Robert De Niro. I see Leonard. Yeah. Which is that's 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 as, as good as a compliment you can ever give to any actors. Like, you went away, this other person was the, the person that I saw. But this, you can have as... You can have you meet the Fockers too. It's like, I know, and and as an act as an actor, right? You want the fr- I can understand that you'd want to have the freedom to do that. Like if he, right. like who's to say? But you want to see another performance like this from him again? It's not. Yeah, it's not just that, but it's because like, I not like what happened to you, bro. You used I, to be beautiful. Well, like, part of, part of that is me. You know, that is my reaction to me. If I'm totally honest, I'm like like oh god, how far the mighty have fallen. That's right. that's my reaction, but it's totally a selfish one, and I admit mm-hmm. it because it's. It, it is my, I don't have a, yeah, I'll, I'll say it, we're being honest. It's my problem with what's happening to Daniel Craig. Mm. When Daniel Craig was young, he did all these weird hotels. Like layer cake. And Hotel Splendid yeah. and Love is the Devil. He did these bizarre art films. Tom Hardy is a great example of an actor who, to me, st- but you know, then again, Tom Hardy did This Means War. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty dumb movie, and yeah. he's doing Venom because his little kid likes Venom, and right. Venom. And you could also argue. I mean, he played Bane, and it's like everyone like jerks off all over the Christopher Nolan Batman movies, but it's still it's a DC. But it doesn't prop, matter though because right. Bane is like this weird elevation. Bane is Bane is as close. To, no, like okay, um, Heath Ledger's Joker and Bane. Those are not comic book performances. That's something okay. else. That is a whole other level of thing that's it that's masterful i would right. argue that those are masterful i would argue that cillian murphy's scarecrow from the first movie is a, is a superhero is a villain. superhero villain and okay then you see heath ledger's joker and that's a what in the fuck yeah am i what <laughs> get christian bale out of this movie you know like just show me more of heath it's ledger's the, it's choices. a mickey rourke effect they don't they don't realize they're in a batman movie they're just that's like, a perfect example. It's Mickey Rourke in the Expendables. Yeah, <laughs> when Mickey Rourke shows up in the Expendables yeah. two or three or whatever, and just, just he has that yeah. monologue about we the always, little girl. We always the- tag it again because it's, just- <laughs> it's so fucked up. Because you're watching the Expendables and you're like, ah, Jason Statham's throwing a knife, and then Mickey Rourke shows up and he's like, breaks your fucking heart. Yeah, that little girl on the bridge, and you're fucking sobbing, and he's sobbing, he's crying, you're crying, you're pretty sure he's for real tattooing <laughs> Sylvester Stallone, and then the, and then the the rest of the movie happens and it's like, ah. Jason Statham's throwing a knife, but you can't get that out of your head. That bit earlier mm-hmm. where Mickey Rourke was sobbing over a dead little girl on a bridge. Like, dude, did no one tell you what this flick was? It's the, it's the, it's the expendable. Hey, yo, look, uh, hey, Rourke. Rourke. Hey, Rourke, you gotta take look, it down baby, a nice yeah, You're depressing everybody. That's the worst. We both have equal, like, worse. Equally bad Sylvester <laughs> Sloan. <laughs> but the point is. Yeah, I, I don't remember what the point is. Oh, we're talking oh, about the De performance. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. at what point did Meet the Fockers happen and like getting upset about it's, that sort of thing? It's 
it's um you know what it is it's a, it's snobbery on my part that's fair enough it's I mean, me I've... wanting the things that i love to remain pure mm-hmm. it'd be like if jim jarmish decided he was going to direct the next avengers movie that, i would watch it so would i but, you but feel, it is would that the whole, like that selling out do you feel like that's selling out and i hate that be. fucking phrase I do too. by the way i do I think too because yeah we make art for art a movie man well, but listen dude you, you make art for art's sake i write music for the sake of writing music but if somebody is gonna pay me a million dollars to write an album i'm going to cash it. that fucking check I take it right yeah definitely it's it is it's an unfair higher standard that i hold from who hero. from people that haven't written no, anything ever me. oh i'm sorry no i'm sorry it's, it's <laughs> it from me it's an unfair higher standard that i hold my heroes to and i can Completely own right, up yeah, to the fact yeah. that it is selfish and it is stupid <laughs> and arbitrary. Like there's something pure about the fact that Jim Jarmusch self-finances his own movies. There's something pure for me about the fact that something would happen if Warner Brothers were to come out and like sign Jim Jarmusch on to do like Phase Five of the Avengers. Yes. Right. Okay. So like I would feel that too. I, we would both feel that. Now yeah. we bo- and I'm glad we can both admit that that is a stupid thing. It would be genius of him to take all that money because then he can fund his own projects for the rest right. of forever because exactly. they would just back up a dump truck full of cash. But at the same time, when I see Robert De Niro do this and I see him work with Martin Scorsese, I mean Hide and Seek was pretty cool, but when you see like when you see this out of Robert De Niro and then you realize that you haven't seen anything of this caliber in I a feel l- like it's the quality of, of writing and projects that get greenlit in Hollywood has just gone Slipped. more. Yeah. yeah. Well, Penny Marshall is one of the best directors of drama and comedy uh, in the 80s and 90s. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, I don't know if she's done anything recently, but Penny Marshall is able to get those kind of, because you haven't seen Big. I mean, Big is a, like a comedy, but there are so many like heartfelt moments that just make you sob. Right. And she gets those sort of moments from like Tom Hanks and some other, uh, but yeah, it's like a Penny Marshall thing too. And we've talked about this too, that, that great actors are sometimes only great actors when they're with great directors. Mm-hmm. Like you and I both contest that we both, I believe we both hold this to be true, that Nicolas Cage is a great actor in the right hands. Absolutely. If yeah. you put him with the right director, he's excellent. But then you take a great actor and put them with an equally great director, and then that's get, when this shit happens. That's when this happens. That's yeah. when Leonard happens. Yeah. Um so there's the scene there's a scene bef- right before Back to the movie, folks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Meanwhile, back so to the Hall of Justice. There's Max a and Carl talking about awakening. <laughs> in the chat cave. Um, <laughs> in the chat cave. So there's a couple of things. Um the, there's there's stuff that I really liked, like the Jimmy the inclusion of Jimi Hendrix mm-hmm. in the way that that like we that atmospheric Spielbergian cinematography grounded us in the 20s. Hearing Jimi Hendrix immediately puts you in the 60s. Right, boom, we're back. Here we are. It's the 60s. With like the soundtrack, we talked about in the front matter to this, which will probably go up on Patreon. But um, the soundtrack to this is awesome. I don't think I've heard. Like the and maybe it's the Robin Williams effect or whatever because everything we've listened to so far has had that super cool soundtrack. Has even even um, even one, one hour, hour photo, photo had that kind of machinist esque yeah. like weird crime not crime noir but like kind of like weird. Oh, you mean the score, not the soundtrack. Like the the. I mean the soundtrack for Good Morning Vietnam and okay. this film, but the score to One Hour Photo was really was cool. really good. I do not like the score in this movie. You don't? No. What is it you don't like about it? Uh. It, it mm, I was trying to like write a um, because we haven't talked about um, uh, the well, we next can, movie we're let, doing, oh. but it 
What dreams and come, yeah. What dreams and come. So uh, this is, I believe, is Randy Newman did the music for this. I know we're going off what you want to talk about, but just because my brain was on it. So there are certain things that certain composers do, um, like these little hooks. Like Randy Newman did like, you got a friend in me. Yeah, you yeah, got yeah, a yeah. friend. So he, he, I don't like him mm-hmm. at all because the way, just this is my own personal opinion, right. is that he writes music to elicit a sort of response from you and using certain hooks and phrases in music. So this is He like, knows what this is what this phrase in music is going to do. You swell here, which is why you have a score. I get it. Right. But to so he's me, good at his job, but he's too obvious about yeah, it. Yeah, it's almost like it, it's, it's almost it's what what's happening to Hans Zimmer now with the boy. Yeah, all of that in yeah, every exactly. movie. Exactly. So yeah. it's almost like it would be for like if if like for for you like you for a writer reading a book and like the author giving you too many hints or being or not giving no, you enough I know what credit. You mean. If, and if like yes, I understand. You don't have to tell me five treating times. Treating you like you're dumb. Yes. Randy Newman treats his scores like the audiences are emotionally stupid. Yes, and like okay. has to push you along. Like now that you're not almost crying, almost crying. Now you're crying. Now you're crying. Now you got to feel better. And now it gets happy and jaunty. I see what you're saying. But it's almost exactly it's just too. Yeah, it's exactly, he's pushing and treating like you're emotionally stupid. Whereas right. when we're going to see what dreams may come next week, we're going to be talking about that score mm. is sort of similar in tone, but the subtle difference between what Randy Newman does and what the composer on What, what dreams, dreams May Come does, it's like you just start, just a couple of notes happen and you start sobbing just because it's beautiful. Yeah. And it would be beautiful. It's a difference of listening to an aria and realizing that it's beautiful on its own. Right. And having the emotional response from that. And then it just happens to also be playing over top of this wonderful scene that you're seeing. You know what? I think here's a good example. It's, it's Looney Tunes in it in a way. Like it's the, going up the stairs and we're going up the stairs. It's the <laughs> difference. It's the difference between Barber's Adagio for Strings, uh-huh. which everyone knows. There's a mm-hmm. what? There's a name for what Barber does in Adagio for Strings, and basically what he does is he takes you from a really low register to a long, protracted high note that's like a half step off from where you'd expect it to be, which is that where the violin peaks and it's like, and then it goes back down. Yeah. That music, some music, a lot of modern music theorists are saying is what the quote unquote millennial whoop is predicated on is that piece of musical theory, which is it's this thing that Barber does there and you can hear it in classical and Mm -hmm. opera all the time is really beautiful. Our brains just love it. We like it a lot. Yeah. And now pop peop, pop musicians have figured out two things one if they put that in their song your brain gets that little hit of dopamine because our brains like that like piece that of bit. musical theory yep. so the millennial whoop is any song which is like and something's happening oh and you yep. go low to high over and over again yep. and two since that's so popular and so many hits have that in there if you put that in your song people will think they've heard it before mm-hmm. and listen to it all the way through because they like it even it's if it's the, new it's like oh I, I know this song I know this song it's it, yeah. the song that has the oh 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 bit in there mm-hmm. right yep that is the Randy Newman effect yes right he's he and uh, I, I'm not super familiar with his work but I think that's what you're saying which is like yes there are things in music that are beautiful but Randy Newman does them in a way which is gauche and obvious yeah and there's actually a, there's actually a family guy episode <laughs> Randy Newman's probably just there's actually a family guy episode where they run into Randy Newman after the apocalypse and he's playing the <laughs> piano and he's like now you're gonna go get the apple you're gonna eat by the apple in your face you're gonna walk down the street 
It's like literally just like playing the piano and singing the things that they're doing. <laughs> <That's> a- <laughs> so Randy Newman hate is a thing. Oh, it's a real thing, and I don't. I, it's, it's it's too. It's condescending of us. Well, yeah, I'm gonna stick with it. The score is condescending. The score is condescending. Yeah. You know what? I like I like it. all the emotional honesty in this yeah. show. Let's go back to Jimi Hendrix really quick. Yeah. Because Jimi Hendrix, the bit where we we def, we already defined earlier that this this guy, the the one who the nurse who's the male nurse who's working with the patients using vinyl records. Yes. They're like finding music to fit to everybody. Yeah. And there's this like slightly overweight, like curly haired guy who just is is he nothing's reaching him. Jazz isn't doing it. Classical's not doing it. Opera's not doing it. And you see this huge stack of fucking uh, yes. records <laughs> next to the record player. Like he's been working it. And Robin Williams is coming down and all of a sudden you hear Purple Haze by Jimi Hendrix. It's so fucking awesome. And he comes in and the dude's eating soup. He's like going after the soup too. <laughs> he's like killing that soup and Robin Williams looks up at the like the black nurse who's standing over him and the dude's jamming out on air guitar and he gives him the thumbs up. And for me, that is the perfect metaphor for not only Robin Williams' character and what he accomplishes in Awakenings, but also what Robin Williams, we talked about it earlier, but I wrote down the ability to transmit caring. Yes. He made the nursing, he gave the nursing staff that curiosity and by being curious, which we'll see Robin Williams happen to him later in the movie, now the nursing staff actually care. them with care. Right, and uh, I don't want to skip ahead. I want to keep moving linearly because we're almost to Rilke, and yeah. that just destroyed me. Um, but l- jumping ahead to to show that this was not just a temporary phase that these people went through. Once all of the patients slip back into their catatonic states, there's a beautiful moment where, when one of the patients wakes up. She is looking at herself in the mirror and realizes she's like 35 years older than she was when she went to sleep. And a nurse comes over and she goes, can I get you anything? And she goes, I'm going to need some makeup Mm -hmm. and hair dye. And then later when she falls back into a catatonic state, we see a nurse applying makeup. Yeah. She's still these, taking care of these her. were people who just got water and pills before and they got were the shoved, garden. They got shoved they into called the fucking place the garden. Yeah, they got shoved into the corner and forgotten. And Robin Williams through this miracle, we can call it what it is because he refers to it as a miracle mm-hmm. later. But through this miracle that happens, you know, through through human contact and caring, and yes, the miracle of modern medicine, he manages a greater miracle which is re-engaging these people with their purpose and their lives and their jobs and re-imbuing them with human empathy. It's incredible. I love that. It's absolutely incredible. Um, so when we, one of the things that got me was when he, when uh, Robert De Niro has got the Ouija board, this is right before he wakes up and he starts spelling and he's like, spell your name, here's L. And he goes to R, I, L, and I'm like, because I you realize right away if you're not Robin Williams, I don't know why it took him so fucking long. But we're like, he's spelling something that's <laughs> not his name. Different. As soon as he hit K, I'm like, oh my god, he's spelling Rilke. Rilke's because Rainier Maria Rilke is one of my favorite poets. So you uh, you knew? I knew immediately. I'm like, he's spelling a, the name of a poet, and I'm like, does he want Robin Williams to redo him? Oh, oh Robin Williams, god. story time. Here we go. <laughs> and then he goes, he spells Rilke, Rilke S, Rilke's. And I'm like, 
a specific poem. And as soon as he said P, I'm like, please don't be Panther. It's like the most heartbreaking poem ever. And it was Panther. And then I'm like, okay, well, please, Robin Williams, don't read it aloud. And, he and then reads Robin Williams Panther. reads it aloud. And that's it. That was first. Doesn't, I wrote it, he, doesn't he read it in the Botanical Garden too? Watching the Panther. Once, I wrote down poem Panther, first tears, first blood awakenings. First blood awakenings. Like literally, well that was it. That was the first. That And wow. that I'm not talking like eyes welled up because that happened a couple times. This was the first cry. Like, there are many yeah in this movie once so, you break the seal in this movie it's easy to keep the well open it's th- like it's it's not just that it's not just like cracking the seal it's it's penny marshall does a really really good job of pacing it yep if she just uh, that was kept, the word that yep pacing. If she kept hitting you with sad moments you'd go numb you're like all right i don't want to cry again but oh i get it this it's m- such yeah. a measured tempo such a it's such a steady hand guiding this the pace of this film is, and and it, it's not just the pace though It's the pace and then the Insanely executed performances By the main players Like All the, all the awakenings Every single one of them have a story And you, you immediately you Get a sense get for it, all for sense of them. For all of them they, they each only have this Such a small amount of time To develop who they are Their backstory, where they came from What their desires are what it's like to be awake again, but you get all of that with yeah. each of them. It's fucking incredible, and it's mostly done without saying without it saying too. anything. Yeah, it's, it's visual or it's very vi- an interaction in it's the most subtle. subtle way. It's subtle. It's subtle in a yeah. way that mo- that we and we'll we'll say this probably for the next ten seasons of this fucking show, but they don't make movies like that anymore. No, where they trust the audience to pick up on that that subtlety thing. It's yeah. like I'm awake and here I am. I used to listen to jazz. I was alive during the prohibition. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. or I used to be a rum runner. <laughs> like, but there's none, none of, that of that here. It's nope. just like you know. There's little moments later. Like uh, uh, there's one I want to get to immediately, but there's uh, there's a bit later after the dance. Woman's smoking. They're playing cards, and the nurse turns to her and goes, "Look." Veronica, I gotta tell you this. I don't know how to tell you this, so I'm gonna just I'm just gonna say it. Your husband successfully applied for divorce from you in 1959. And the woman do you see the woman's face like go there's a moment of like hurt, and then it turns into like this like roguish yes, jaunt. Like- and it's awesome yeah. because you could have just played it as jaunty, like ah, fuck him. But that's not what she does. No, there's a moment of loss. There is a moment. It's not. I don't think it's, it's loss. Lost. It's almost. It's almost like a little sting from the world where it's like, like you know, oh, like great. I was no, I, bad enough that I'm in this fucking coma. It's not that. I feel like it's. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm reading and what I read into it personally. I oh. think performances are like wines. Oh, Tasting absolutely. Notes for everybody. Definitely. But for for me, the note is like, you know. Okay, I was, you know, I was, I was catatonic, and he couldn't stick around, and you know, like for one brief moment, it's not a huge hurt. Nope. Because we just see just a little bit of a middle finger. Yeah, we like, see in her, we see her reaction in a just second. One more thing. Yeah, it's just, it's just there's a little bit of pain. It's a t- touch. It's and you, you could have just played it, played it off. But the everyone, everyone brings their a game. It's such a great little moment. There's a flash of hurt, and then she goes. Thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and the nurse slaps her on the arm, yes, and it they doesn't make any no more big a deal of it than that. Nope. Oh, thank God. Oh, thank God. And they keep playing. That's it. And that's it. And you're done. It's awesome. It's so awesome. And they didn't, you know, like that bastard left me. Oh, you know, there's none of that bullshit, and there's none of like the huh, fuck that guy. Whatever. Who cares? No, it was, like, it was hurt. moment of hurt. Thank God. Quiet joke. Beautifully executed. It's it's there's so many awesome little moments in here, and there's can we talk about Ruth Nelson real quick? Please. Yes, please. Plays Leonard's mom. 
Mm. When he, when Robin Williams discovers this Parkinson's drug. By the way, the guy who's pitching that, the chemist, is Peter Stormare, who plays the the crazy guy in every other movie. Russian ever. space station. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Mr. Russian Spiastation. My favorite role is the um, sovereign citizen in Longmire. Oh my! He plays God. the craziest sovereign citizen ever. He builds a he builds a one foot high wall all the way around his house oh. with a door. <laughs> so if you step over it, you're on his property and he can shoot he you. Can shoot you. Oh, it's so cool. He's really good in that in that show. But anyway, um, Ruth Nelson, when Robin Williams discovers this Parkinson drug. Parkinson's drug and thinks maybe these symptoms are indicative of a really extreme form of Parkinson's and goes to his boss and is like I want to put these guys I want to put my patients on this experimental drug and the boss is like how many do you want to put on there and he goes all of them some of them one One. of them and the doctor goes one of them so he goes to Robert which is actually fair enough and responsible thing honestly it's the only moment of John Hurd's performance that I actually agreed with yeah it's a great performance because you hate him Mm-hmm. You hate him. He he does like bureaucrat really well. He is all of the faceless uh, cruel. He's also in big. He's the he's the unfeeling. He's every unfeeling managerial type from Brazil. Yeah, from last month. Yes. Um. So he goes to Rob, uh, Robin Williams goes to uh, Leonard's mom and goes, "Look, I want to put your son on this medication." And she goes, "What'll it do?" And he goes, "I actually don't know." Um. You know, I believe that his his symptoms could, you know, could be indicative of Parkinson's. She goes, he has Parkinson's? No. It's actually, you know, it's something else we haven't seen, but it could behave like Parkinson's. And she goes, what do you think it'll do? And he goes, I don't know, because it was it was made for a totally different disorder. And there's this beautiful moment where Ruth Nelson, she, she goes like, what will it do? What will what do you think it'll do? And he goes, I don't know. I honestly don't know. And she looks at him and she like, there's this weird little shuddery breath right before she says it. And then she goes, what do you hope it'll do? Oh my God. That's it. And she, oh. that's what everyone in this movie wants. And in that moment, no one wants it more than her. Yeah. And she's like, what? Give me some, she, she's like, Anything. I want mm. to sign this. Just give me one reason. She's like, give me something, something yes. to sign this. Even for. if it's hope. So she says, what do you hope it'll do? And Robin Williams says, I hope it'll bring him back. And she goes, bring him back to what? And he goes, the world. And she goes, what's here for him after all this time? And he goes, you are. And then he hands her a pen. Yeah. And she signs. <laughs> Fuck. It's. Oh, we love our moms, don't we? It is. <laughs> it is such a quiet moment. It's in. There's no score. They're in her kitchen sitting at her kitchen table Mm -hmm. and she there are occasional moments where i think her performance is not like ever so slightly stilted yeah yeah she's the weakest part of the whole thing i think i do too i i I think part of it might have been she's sort of supposed to be that little bit of a she's a little bit lay off me mom i want to go on a date like she's a bit too she's the flattest of the characters yeah yeah i would agree um, I think some of it has to do with performance and some of it has to do with writing and it's probably my only critique of the film mm-hmm. um, is the is her but and now now I'm not saying like and she fucked the whole movie right. up and Robert De Niro didn't get his goddamn Oscar because of this because <laughs> of fucking Ruth. Ruth fuck no that's Ruth. not it at all like it is the most minor 
yeah. minor critique I can think of because I, like I said, it's not that like, oh yes, yeah, sometimes her shit skin. is bad. That's not it. It's sometimes her performance is merely good rather yeah. than great. And right in that moment, it's great. It's brilliant. It's yeah. brilliant. There's a couple moments. Every time Robert De Niro and Robert, Robin Williams are acting together, that is, it's like acting porn. Yeah, it's it kind like, of is. If you are, if you are an act, if you dig acting, or like are an actor's actor, or you are a hardcore cinephile who appreciates performance. That is some fucking shit to watch, man. Yeah. Oh my god. Oh my god. But this moment too is excellent. Like this is this is Ruth Nelson. I'm not saying like holding her own against genius Robin Williams. Right. I'm saying but this she's... is this is Ruth Nelson excelling. While Robin Williams excels with her, it's just this beautiful. And dance. also, this moment has to happen, or the rest of the movie doesn't happen. Like she's got to sign this thing. Yeah, there's a term. There's a dancing term, pas de deux. It's a dance for two, basically. And there's a the term that I think is associated with. It. I could be totally wrong, and I'm sure Adam Lau is screaming at his fucking <laughs> headphones right now. But I, I there's a, a mu- another music, uh, not a dancing term, a music term, antipodal, which is music that plays. Um, uh, against itself, play. It's basically two parts that play off of each other. Yeah. Sometimes in cla- you know clashing way and then coming together. That for me, those two terms flow beautifully together for this scene, mm-hmm. which is she begs Robin Williams to give her something, but he knows that he can't in good conscience do it, so he gives her so something different, to- and she p- puts forth the hand, please, like. What about this? And he can't give her that. So they've got to get to that point. Right. So they play against each other until what do you hope it'll do? And I think that's not just a beautiful moment, but I think it's an important moment because once you start, once you open up to to empathy and hope, once you once you're talking about hope, you can say, you know, like I hope it rains gold tomorrow. Right. We can hope anything. I hope this makes him fly like Superman. You know, like. Once you get there, once you allow yourself to feel hope, everything becomes possible. Right. And I think, yeah, anyway, that, that, oh, man, that, that performance right there, her, her, her face and Robin Williams face just cutting back and forth between them trying desperately like, to like, please, yeah, please, both of them, give me, he's something. asking her and she's he asking to, Yeah, exactly. They both want the same thing. They, they just have gotta, to they have to find a way the right to way. allow each other to do yeah, it. It's, exactly. it's amazing. And then, um, immediately afterwards we get what is my favorite moment of cinematography in this film, which is when the mom is feeding, um, Leonard the orange juice with the drug in it and he coughs and it's, Oh, I have that as a note. Oh my yeah. god, his cough. It's 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 just a two shot. It's a simple two yep. shot. There's a there's a beautiful moment of cinematography at the very end which I'll talk about, but when she's pouring it down his throat, he has like this Oh, man, Robert De Niro is this is like I can't think of there's too many superlatives to pick from. It's yeah. a sub- superlative performance. But when the, there's a moment where he ca- he chokes on the orange juice cuz she's he, she's she just, just she's like drink the orange juice, drink it, drink it, drink it, drink it, and it's not like a like a. It's like it's like a like a borderline gag. gag. Mm-hmm. It's a very uncomfortable sound, and the mom stops feeding him the orange juice, and she looks at Robin Williams, and doesn't say anything, but it, in her face is the question to which he responds, "All of it, please." Yes, and it hurts him to say it because you can see she's like, "I really don't." 
I don't Please, want to do like yeah. it wasn't that enough. Like my boy is kind of suffering. It's her son, and it's a, again, it's a quiet moment. It's not like she's like jamming a you tube jam down right. his throat, turkey like, paster full of fucking yeah, OJ. like drink it, drink it, you criminals. <laughs> Take your fucking medicine. It's boy. none of that. It's no. such a, it's a cup, and she's holding his forehead. It's, uh, it's the way that Robert De Niro is handled by others in this movie, like physically handled, mm-hmm. and oh and, yeah, because he's a, and his like lack of reaction to it is amazing it's amazing like she, i can't dis- unless you've seen it i can't describe that why her hand on his forehead and his head back and his eyes slack being fed orange juice is is a beautiful is an um, is a impressive moment yeah, in acting yeah that i have a note somewhere i don't know where it is about it is. that in, in about that very thing yeah like acting without doing anything yes like what the fuck is that? He's, he's, he's sitting motionless he's sitting in motionless a chair with her hand with her gently hand on, on his forehead, and it was that little cough that I was like, "Holy fuck!" And the, like, you know what's crazy is I, I was just thinking about it because I can rem- I'm, I watched the movie like earlier tonight. He doesn't like jerk his head no, or just like little, make his. There's no motion. Mm-mm. It's just a sound he generates somewhere in his chest mm-hmm. or neck. It's mm, it's amazing. And then we get the best. In my opinion, my favorite moment of cinematography, which is we cut to a profile as the last of the orange juice slides into his mouth and down his throat. And you watch his neck and I don't think he's swallowing, which is incredible control to just let just let orange juice slide down down your throat without swallowing because you're catatonic. That would be you know how hard that would be to do. And when it clears his neck, he breathes out and the glass steams. You know how we now there's. There's a thing they used to do, doctors used to do to check and see if patients were dead. They would hold a mirror over their right, mouths to, to see if that, there would be yeah. breath steam. And that breath right there, that little bit of aspiration is He's alive. the evidence of life. And life in this movie, in that moment, the fact that he's still alive, like there's, his, there's that breath. Yep. He's not dead. He's catatonic. He's in this chair, but he's, but he's not dead. Yeah. There's that breath, and that breath is the impetus for his mother and Robin Williams' hope, and that hope is the impetus for their compassion and care. Like, they're not, oh my God, there's lines later when he can speak for himself, but when he wakes up, we've already talked about the scene where he actually wakes up, and he's tracking with his eyes, Mm -hmm. and then there's those early scenes where he's he doesn't do the like staggering like I don't know how to walk. It's he's just a little slow. Like his he hasn't he hasn't used his legs years. in a while. Yeah, he's weak. Yep, he's weak, and it's he knows how to ride the bike. Just hasn't been on it in a couple decades. Yeah, so that's what it is. It's amazing. And there's there are moments in that performance that are so. I'm thinking of when he feels the air from the fan hit his face. Oh, and he's oh my god, like feeling he, that. Is surprised first. The his first reaction is, "What is, what that? is that? What is that?" Because he hasn't felt air wind on his face in twenty something years. So it hits his face, and he's uh, taken aback. He moves back like an inch, and then and he's, he's like, "Oh, I remember you." And he smiles. I know what you are. Robert De Niro manages to do something in this movie. We talked about Robin Williams' smile. Now, to give De Niro credit. Robin Williams' smile is just Robin Williams' smile. That's who he, yeah. When he smiles, it's amazing, but that's just because his smile's amazing. Right. Robert De Niro physically creates Leonard's smile. 
His eyes are not, again, not simple-minded, but simple. They're child's eyes. Child's eyes. He, Robert De Niro manages to perfectly show us a child's eyes. Because most people eyes. go too young when they like, ah, I'm... I'm a I'm a ten year old trapped in a forty year old's body and you right. go too young, right? With Where it, you're like, too weird, like, like it's me, ten year old Zabby. No, no ten year old acts like no. that. They're and actually pretty intelligent. And this ten year old read like, Rilke before he fell asleep, right? Before he exactly. became catatonic. So, so his eyes are so like innocent is a good word, like. Like he's walking through the Garden of Eden and just discovering, you know, that God put a fan in the corner right. for the first time. And his smile is just like, well, look at that, a fan. Holy shit. It's crazy. That's, that's fresh, cool air. You've, it's, you know what it is, too, is there's no, I think part of what makes the performance so amazing is there's no performance. It doesn't feel like Robert De Niro's like, all right, all right, so when the fan hits my face, right, it's going to be, I'm going to do joy. Right. Do joy, all right. Okay. Then I'm gonna be surprised. Hey, hey Penny Marshall, when I'm done with this fucking scene, I need money to scotch and a cigarette. You know, right. like there's no performance there. He found some way that when that fan hit his face, it made him feel joy. Yeah. Because that's what you see. It's insane. It's so subtle and small and so difficult to execute genuine emotion. Like, not like, oh my god, I'm so happy. You know, like everyone can make a smile. Oh, sure. But can you can you make the inside of your eyes? It has smile? to be real. Oh you, it has to be generated from There's a so place much, of truth. Otherwise, so it's a fake smile. In this performance, um, so when he smiles, when the fan hits his face, and now there's another moment which I fucking love, which is when his mom comes in. There's, there's an, again part of what makes the performance great is knowing how it could have been bad. He could have been like mom, mom! and gone big, but. As far as he knows, he saw his mom yesterday. Yeah. Right? He's been catatonic for 20 Mm -hmm. years and he has no memory of it. So like, hey, it's my mom. Hi, mom. Hey, mom. And he holds his arms out. And the way he holds his arms out. The big kid hug. Like, wants to come here, give me a big. I've never seen a grown man hold his hands that way. No. You see kids do it all the time. All the time. There's a difference between how a kid reaches for a hug and how a grown up reaches for a hug. And he flawlessly emulates a child's not even yep. a, not even the hug itself just the arms in the preparation arms out, yeah. his posture the way he holds his like his neck and shoulders the slight bend in the arm mm-hmm. every single fucking the face that smile the anticipation of getting a hug from someone the this the, and it, not ah. and not big Nope. Not, that's key. It's not, not like jumping up and down and like ah. oh my god it's my mom it's not nope. that it's, it's just, just that mom and he, his hands come up, and every piece of that performance is physically flawless. I had to pause movie because I couldn't see Dude. the screen at that point. You know, I I, I made it through I, that. I remember, but I remember specifically that breaking me in the movie theater. That was the first time when I was like 12, 13 mom, years old. The mom bit. Mom didn't get me. Fucking bro- Well, my mom you know what, had just moved away too. Oh, so yeah, you know what got me two that, seconds yeah. after? I thought I was. I thought it was so fucking clever. I'm like, hop anymore. <laughs> Penny you, Marshall. Let's she see almost. You. She welled me up with this fan. The fan. I was like. Oh, simple pleasure of wind on your face. I'm like, mm-hmm. God damn it, I just didn't know. But um, it's when he goes in the hall and the nurse is there and she sees him for the first time. And uh, she, he goes, he, she shakes her hand and he goes, Hi, I'm Leonard. I'm Leonard. And she goes, it's a pleasure, pleasure to, to meet, meet you. you. And she's known him for 20 years or whatever. She's yep. been taking care of him every day. But this is the first time they've met. It's a pleasure to meet it's you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Fuck me. 
and it gets better. I was crying like a fucking baby, and I couldn't find the remote to turn it off. <laughs> so he goes down the hall, and the 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 black nurse who has been playing records for everyone turns yep. and doesn't know that he's woken up yet, and the genuine like the it's like someone hit him in the forehead with a hammer. Yep. It's literally. It's beautiful. It's a great. Yeah. It's a great little moment in performance. He looks like his every cog in his brain just separated, and yep. nothing's clicking. And Leonard holds his hand out, and he gets introduced to him. And he goes, uh, he's introduced to him because Anth- the guy's name is Anthony. Anthony. I took a note. Anthony's speechless. And Robert Williams goes, uh, Leonard, this is Anthony. And Anthony can't fucking say anything. <laughs> so Leonard reaches out and takes his hand and goes, Anthony. And the first thing out of his mouth, Anthony, how are you? Like inquiring after the health after of the health of the this person guy, yeah, is that this guy who's been catatonic for twenty five years with a massively serious like brain condition is? How, are you okay? How you doing? How are you okay? How's your health? How's right. your mother? Yeah. it's like he's Mark Wahlberg in him. Yeah. Hey, what's up? How's it going? I'm Leonard. How's your mother doing? Yeah. You know. Yeah. And Anthony's like, I'm doing really good, I'm Leonard. Doing good. How are you doing? And he goes, I'm doing great. <laughs> I know. <sighs> And the, Fuck. the best part of that line, that delivery, is he doesn't, Robert, Robert De Niro's right now doesn't know, Leonard at this moment doesn't know how what's happened to him. He nope. knows he's up, he's up and around, and things are cool. He says later that he thought it was a dream, he knew it wasn't a dream when Robin Williams understood him. Like I said, I think his brain is kind of scarred over some yep. of the trauma of the last 20 years. So... When he says I'm great, he's not saying like, I'm great because I've been in a coma for 20 no, years. Like, yeah, I'm great. And Rebecca, I'm marrying your sister. Right. It's like, there's none of, none of that melodrama. There's no melodrama. It's just, here's a kid who's like, oh, that's... It's, it's fucking honest. It's a grown-up who I asked me that. how I'm doing... Well, I'm, and, and part of it, part of what does make it amazing, part of what, it, what the, the sting, this, the, little, the extra little bit is that Robert De Niro is still not fully up on his feet and cogent all of his muscles aren't doing everything so there's still that little bit of simplicity in the voice mm-hmm. not again it's not simple-minded he's clear he's there yeah it's not like you know like just things are still waking up a little things bit things are still waking up a little bit so hearing that little bit of infirmity and to to see him kind of hobbling on his feet he's still infirm he's still weak and frail and we don't know at this point whether he's going to wake up tomorrow And when they ask him how he is, he's not just like, well, I'm doing fine. I'm doing great. It's not like that casual thing we do where I say, hey, Carl, how's it going? And you're like, it's going great. How are you doing? And I'm I'm like, you know, in my head, I'm like, well, I'm suicidally depressed and I fucking hate everything. And I wish I didn't have a job. And like, you know, like it'd be better if I was dead. Like, but but you just look him in the eye and you're like, things are great. I'm doing awesome. This is on. This is him honestly saying I'm great great. because he is. It's beautiful. This so much of this movie is summed up by the not because in the modern world the word beautiful is very cheap. Mm-hmm. It's been infinitely cheapened. Like you know, like oh, the, this beautiful scene. Oh, that's a beautiful sunset. It's oh yeah, a beautiful it's a beautiful card. Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful carpet. It's, it's, a, lo- it's lost its meaning. It's a, yeah, right. Like beautiful means something. Just like the word awesome, the original meaning, something that inspired awe. Mm-hmm. And when you look at what awe means, like. So I, that was, that's what I want to say here is that moment that the honesty that he manages 
in that those early moments when he's first waking up is awesome. And it's not, dude, awesome. It's breathtaking. Yes. It stops your the way that you think and changes its course so you think differently after you see it. That is what I mean when I say that Rob, Robert De Niro's performance is awesome. awesome. It's incredible. Um, the moment... I thought I was gonna it was gonna mess me up more, but when Robin Williams contrives to let um, him discover how old he is and how much time has passed on his own, yeah, well, that was that was odd to me as well because like he had been awake for a day or a day and a half before he really realized how old he was because he goes to like shave or something or sees his face in the mirror. No, and he sees the picture first. That's why Robin Williams oh, takes it was the pictures the, of the that's Polaroid. Right, he's on and the, he leaves it up and he's like, I'm going to get some more film. Right. And he yep. leaves and he looks and over then his he shoulder. he sees himself in the Polaroid. Right. The and Polaroid it's intentional. Thing. You can tell because Robin Williams is glancing to make sure that to he make sure sees that he where sees the Polaroid it. is. And that's when he goes I to think the mirror. That, yeah, that, that always felt a little weird to me. I'm like, why would, is that the best way to sort of, maybe it is, like to have him discover it on his own rather than sit him down and be like, so uh, I know you're awake now, but this is going to be hard to hear. Uh, you've been asleep for 25 years. Who's the guy you don't like, the soundtrack guy? Randy Newman. Now, is that Randy Newmaning? The patient is what I'm wondering. Yeah, probably. Is that infantilizing Robert De Niro? I've often had this question. Right. Like, if someone has a difficult problem or a difficult question, do you sit them down and hold their hand and exp- and say, like, now I know you've been through a very traumatic Just fucking time. tell me what the fuck is up. Right. Or is there some merit in... Is that more for us or for them? Because we're uncomfortable disclosing the information. We're not sure how they're going to react. I won't go. I promise I won't go down a political rabbit hole. Fair enough. But I think there is a modern parallel in safe spaces, which is, Mm. is there benefit in coddling someone from everything in the world that would ever make them uncomfortable ever? Or does that strip them of the tools to deal with those uncomfortable moments when they do encounter them out in the world where they can't be kept safe from them? Right. You know, like if you've never encountered an anger. That's a far extreme to it. But I see what you're saying. Yeah. It's like it, like the like I- sitting somebody down, like being like knowing that somebody has cancer and you have to be the one to tell them that. Right. Do you versus like you you clicked on the wrong thing and it offended you and now you have to like. Go well, to what a safe I, space. Right. I, I'm talking about like for for example, like a phobia. Okay. Um. So you know, if you, are you aware of like the trigger warning phenomenon? Yeah. We put trigger warnings on everything. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um. There's some debate, um, about the merit of that because is it? Now I'm not saying it like makes people. Yeah. You know what? I a little bit. Now, I'm. It's not. I'm not saying it makes people weak, but I'm saying it makes people less capable of handling, dealing with. And moving on beyond things that upset and trouble them. Mm-hmm. You know, like if you don't encounter things that are beyond your limit. You're never going you to never, grow. Well, you never know well, where your limit, limit is. is either. Yeah. So like I remember brief digression and I'll ask you too. Do you remember like I remember as a kid when I like a kid kid like 10 years old, 11 years old reading some books on my parents bookshelf that were way too fucking old for me. Right. Like I read A Time to Kill when I was like nine Oh, the Grisham book? Yeah, and yeah. I just kept reading the scene where the dad machine guns the two kids down because of the description of that gore. And I'm sure if I read it now, it wouldn't bother me it at all. Be, yeah. But in my head, Hell. I was like, yeah. it was my first real conception of like what murder was Yes, at nine. And, and Grisham's I had really good at describing Nightmares that, yeah. and nightmares yep. and nightmares, man. Forever. 
but I got over it. Yep. And it didn't really, you know, I don't think it's like negatively impacted me, but at that moment, it showed me at nine that maybe the books on my parents' shelf are not for me just yet. Right. You know? But you knew that, but you had to go through that experience to know. If I hadn't been troubled by something, I wouldn't have known that there were things that could trouble me there. Being scared sucks, and it's uncomfortable, and it makes you feel weird but it makes you better equipped but it makes you better equipped too i think so so that's why i like this scene but i this is a question that popped into my head too mm -hmm. like shouldn't robin williams have sat him down and told him and i'm like but maybe there's some merit he's he's respecting him respect is a great word enough to be like trusting and trusting him enough and he's not like leaving the completely leaving the room he is still there for if he needs Right, him, right. right? You know, he's like, "Hey, here's a picture. You're gonna figure this, and I'm gonna go get some coffee. I'm gonna go grab a couple of drinks. Right? Back no, in an he's hour. still there. Right? You know, yeah. <laughs> so that, but no, I think that he he's respects like him your, enough to yeah. to to give him that moment and that time to discover it on his own. Right. And and because and there's because you kind of have to. I don't know. There's like you have to go through that to to figure it out. Yeah, you want to have somebody there to to hold your hand if you need it. Right. Or to be like, I don't know it's if I can handle It's good to have a support system. It's good to have someone on belay. This. Right, exactly. But go climb. But go climb. You know, right. I, I, I'm not going to free climb, but I'm going to need you down there. Right, like I'm, on my, I'm going. On my rope, yeah. I'm going to go climb, but it's good to have someone on the rope. There was, yeah. damn it, there was just something like right in my, right in my fucking head. What was it? It's gone. All right, right moving on. There's... Uh, double tap there's two beautiful moments of cinematography right after the scene where he discovers how he looks uh, the, uh, as there's there's sort of a montage of him like getting better getting better and then Robin Williams and he go on their first walk but th- that there first there's that first night when he goes back to sleep in the ward and his mom he's like I don't want to singing him the lullaby I don't want to close my eyes because what if I don't wake up? up again and he goes Robin Williams is that almost that that was Bad enough. Like, yeah. I mean, good enough. Like that's it's that's hard enough to hear. And then Robin Williams has this gene. The writing is so fucking sharp. He goes, "You close your eyes and you'll go to sleep and you'll wake up. And when you wake up, it will be the next day. It the won't, next. It won't be tomorrow. It it'll be the next day. It'll be the next day. Yeah. It's not going to be twenty-two years and a day. Yeah. Like when you go to sleep, when you wake up, tomorrow will be, be the, the next, next day." day. That's such an amazing yeah. little sentiment, but there's a there's a moment of cinematography that I love because it manages to show you it manages to show you a a quieting comforting scene and keep its teeth because we zoom in on Robert De Niro's face and Robert De Niro starts to fall asleep, but masterful performer that he is, he never lets all the fear out of his face. There's all every second we see him, there is fear and uncertainty. He never he could have done the like, oh my mother's oh, yeah. singing to me now right. I'm going to sleep. He does start to fall asleep, but he's terrified yeah. as he goes. It's hard to watch. It's like it's like slowly pushing like a little kid down into a well, and you're like, I promise, there's pillows in the bottom of the well, and the yeah. kid's like, I'm trying to trust you. It I'm just s- look it just looks dark and scary, but there's like pillows and it's nice and warm down and there. There is there is and there but is. like. But that's that's the best analogy I can think of is like he's he's like like a cat like please like scratching like please I don't I don't want to go under I don't want to go under and his mom's like go under it's, okay. it's fine and part of what keeps the teeth in is his it keeps that tension and that fear is his face but also really genius Penny Marshall manages to make it feel institutional 
because of the coarseness of the fabric of the pillow and the yep. sheets. And it's hospital she, shit. Yeah. And she keeps the bars in frame. Yep. I noticed that as well. That's like it feels like you're at home and comfortable, but you're still in an institution. The mom's here. But every other piece of accoutrement and rigid. trappings of the scene is completely clinical. Clinical is the word, yeah, not rigid. It's a, it's, it's a beautiful dance between the two, man. Like, uh, and there's an awesome. It's like it, having a beautiful quilt on top of that plastic sheet, like. Yeah, exactly. Did you hear the 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 lullaby she sings him? Yeah. Where she's like, "Go sailing away, but don't sail so far that you can't come back." Is mm-hmm. one of the d- d- lyrics. Yep. I was like, "Oh fuck." <laughs> Oh no, Ruth Nelson! Don't do this to me. Fucking Ruth. So then we cut to the you know there's the fun scene where he discovers rock and roll and oh look it's the '60s and wow, wow marijuana smells kind of bad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but when they get the ice cream, I can't help myself. I've written many. I've written extensive articles about cinematography and like visual composition, so I can't not see the shit. But when they get the ice cream, it's chocolate and vanilla, and I'm like. Oh, Robert De Niro's got a brown suit on. Give him the vanilla. Give him the vanilla. Come on, do it. Do it. And he hands him the vanilla cone, and I'm like, yes, yes. visual contrast. Look at Love you. It. Well oh, done. it's amazing. You guys make a visual yin yang. You're going to have one standing, one sitting, one kneeling. You're exactly. going to have levels. Like <laughs> Robin Williams is in a light suit with a chocolate. He's in a dark suit with a vanilla. They're a yin yang. There's a little piece of each of them and each other. Oh, it's visual. Very good. Well done, everybody. All right, I'm going to pause this and write an essay right. on the Eastern mysticism of awakenings. <laughs> And then, of course, I, I I put the note in because it's a for me. This is a in any movie when I see this, it be, immediately becomes a Woody Allen note. Mm-hmm. But that there is something magical about that bridge. Oh, yeah! Just seeing it in frame from the from that angle from the bank, the, uh, you know, Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. There's the famous shot in Annie Hall. Yes, but in seeing that bridge from the bank. Is it the Brooklyn Bridge? I think it's the Brooklyn yeah. Bridge, yeah. I was wondering, um, what the fuck? When the, Okay, so there's, after after uh, Leonard's been awake for a little while, what does he, and he, he, he goes to John Hurd's character and he's like, look, I, for $12,000, I can, I can, I can literally I can heal wake everybody. them all up. Yeah. And the dude's like, it's just money, what the fuck? And then there's a, there's a, um, a beautiful mind moment where everyone comes over. And in Beautiful Mind, they all give him their give them, their yeah. pens. Yeah. Um, and in this one, they give them, they their, give like, them paychecks. I, think. I don't know what it is. I was trying to figure it out. I I if thought they wrote checks. Or were they are, are they, they writing? Quitting or are, are they, they see? Yeah, exactly. I was wondering, are they it's writing checks? And I think that it's. I thought maybe they were writing checks at their tables. Then I thought this is their paychecks, mm-hmm. and they're just turning their paychecks. But their paychecks back wouldn't over. be enough to, and it's kind of horseshit too. Like they won't be able to survive. Well, it's not. Well, we see. We later see that he goes to. They're they're not giving him the full twelve thousand. They're just showing. They're willing, showing that willingness, the willingness to, to, give to, to give something. Right. So then, like you give asshole. We're well, the patrons. To give the patrons do. The next right. scene is him getting money from the patrons by showing, by showing them that. This so works. this is right. just a show of will. Like yeah. here we are. We're giving you, um, you know, we're giving you some money mm-hmm. so that you can make this happen. And I was, uh, the other thing I was wondering is if it was like some weird way of giving notice, like we'll quit the, if you don't do this. I always write it as like a check or their paycheck yeah. to show that like some willingness. If we're, to, if we're willing to give up half of our salary for a month, there's something that you can do. Right. right we're right. willing to do this to like, yeah. And yeah. that's one thing that I do like about the. Do- I mean the the John Hurd character is 
again, like with all the other characters in this movie, he could have been played as like the the mean, the evil, the bad guy doctor, but he isn't. He, he isn't. He's, he's in that been, moment. In he's that villainous. moment, he's villainous, right? Yeah, when he goes, but he isn't a bad person, right? He's not like the bad guy. I think he, in that moment he is. But he's, in that moment, he, yeah, yeah. I I actually kind of think yeah, because later we even see there's a an awesome moment later where we see he also is happy. When Leonard shows back up on the ward and he's kind of like, and the patients rally around him, you see a smile on the doctor on John Hurd's face, which is like, like okay, maybe we can do this. Yeah, like he's he's not in it. He's not right. in it like the nurses. And he's the not hospital like, all right, now what do we now what we can do? We got the fun. Like, but he's he, not on the same team. But, but some he's part of him cares. But that yeah, yeah. that is a completely dehumanizing moment for me, right. and I think by design too. Like I think you greatly overestimate the effect that this quote unquote miracle has on people you know and then there's that that line that that hard flat we're talking about money yeah we're not talking and that the the implication being we're not talking about people we're talking about vegetables that we feed in water yes them versus money in my hospital i'm gonna and he he makes no bones about it he's like zero i am on the side of money fuck those vegetables it's all in his face and in his manner Mm -hmm. it's brutal it's really that's a really brutal scene well acted really yeah. well well done by john hurd because there's a there's a there's a smugness in his face too because this is the guy who didn't want to hire robin williams there's some he takes it's not like overt like you're finished here right you're yeah. but there's a, <laughs> never there's any of that ever it's yeah. always really really real and honest but there is a, a bit of him that's like in that enjoys cutting the legs off of robin williams right here just yeah. like you thought you were going to get, you thought I was going to do this. Nope. You thought I was going to do this. <laughs> That's how stupid are you? Anyway. Right. Yeah. So, I'm going to finish this, so, this meal now. So the answer is no idiot. <laughs> like that. It's yeah. all there. Yep. It's all there in the subtext of, and, and his body language is, it's awesome. And then immediately afterwards, we see that big tray full of shit of, of medicine. And you expect it to not work. I, I don't mean you've seen it, but yeah. when I watched it today, the first time not knowing any, I knew kind of vaguely that it was about, I thought it was about coma patients. So ah. I, I didn't know anything at all. Wow. I didn't even know Robert, Robert De Niro was in it. Oh, wow. That's a big surprise then. Which gives even more credit to the fact that I didn't acknowledge that he was in it until the third time he's on screen. Yeah. I recognized his face and it just didn't even matter. Yeah. I didn't even know he was in it. And then I was like, oh my, wait, that's Robert, Robert, Robert De Niro. De Niro. I've seen him before in this movie too, and it didn't <laughs> register. It's crazy. I've actually seen him two previous times in this movie. That alone should have should have got him the yeah. Oscar. Like that's crazy that he was able to do that. Because um, this is this is post uh, all of the other movies yeah. that made him famous. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> but um. 